Hello and welcome to the latest uh, Moneymakers podcast with me, Jonathan Davis. We've been talking about uh, Brexit and the impact on markets all this week uh, with a number of uh, guests. And I'm, today I'm delighted to be joined by Lee Gardhouse, who is the Chief Investments Officer at uh, Hargreaves Lansdowne, the fund manager and online broker known to millions. Lee also manages their in-house multi-manager funds, and we'll be coming on to that in a second. First of all, uh, Lee, can I ask you, were you taken by surprise by the vote, as many other people seem to have been? Definitely taken by surprise with the outcome. Um, I wasn't entirely surprised by the sentiment in the country. Um, a kind of a, a generally cautious view on Europe, sort of European politics, I would say, has been in the UK for, for many, many years. But I certainly wasn't expecting people to vote for change because generally people don't vote for change. So, yeah, on the pure result, I would say I was quite surprised. Um, more widely on the markets, I suppose there's less surprise. Um, we were using the morning of, um, of Friday to, to top up some of the positions that we already had uh, where we saw some quite big sell-offs. Um, the recovery that we've seen, we probably expected to a certain extent in some of the areas have, that have done well, um, but the extent of the overall market um, performance, I think, has been has um, has surprised us, and the differential between small and mid caps relative to to larger international earners, I think that differential is expected, but the, the movement in that direction has probably um, been greater than we have expected as well. Yes. Okay. So let's, can we just be a little more specific about that? Um, you say you. Um, uh, obviously, the, you were talking first about the initial reaction on the on the Friday morning after the vote, um, and you, there's obviously an opportunity when things move very sharply, to, as you say, to pick up things that uh, you perhaps were looking to pick up anyway, uh, but at a cheaper price. Uh, can you give me any examples of that kind of thing? That what you where you were looking in broad terms? Uh, so, so the main change that we saw um, was a sell off in small and mid caps in the UK in particular. Uh, and obviously a lot of strength on overseas investments, predominantly down to the currency. Um, so a lot of what we do is is really about picking the, the best fund managers and trying to sort of stick with them through through the cycle, through good and bad times. Um, so when we get these kind of cracks in the market and very big differentials, suddenly positions that we might have had that should have been 8% of the portfolio suddenly drop to 7.5%, whilst others that should have been 8 go up to 8.5%. Um, so we were taking some money out of our overseas positions, um, and adding to, for instance, in the UK equity income world, to the likes of a multi-cap income or a J.O. Hanbro, um, where um, their bias towards smaller and mid-cap stocks um, had seen the prices fall quite dramatically and the yield go up quite dramatically as a byproduct. So I'd say that's been the major shift, um, a little bit from overseas and bringing it back into the UK and with a, a, a bit of a, a, a smaller mid-cap bias in that switch. I guess implicit in that comment, though, is the view that uh, you're not reading anything uh, dramatic into the uh, consequences of Brexit. In other words, if you're just rebalancing back to your original weights, the sort of implication is that the, the, the Brexit vote itself hasn't actually materially changed the prospects for those particular funds you're talking about. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things, really. I mean, I'm a great believer that capitalism will sort, sort out the problem in the longer term. So whilst politics will rumble on for a prolonged period of time, and inevitably there's going to be um, economic consequences, companies will find a way through that. Now, whether that's international companies, whether it's UK companies, you know, 
you can cut the number of people that work for you to maximise profitability. You can look overseas. You can suddenly say, wow, I'm more competitive because my currency um, has fallen. So, so companies, I always believe, find a way through. So, um, so during these tougher times and people suffer worse times, yeah, companies carry on trading through wars. I mean, um, yeah, an exit of, uh, of Europe in the next couple of years, companies will find a way through that. So, so sat fundamentally behind everything that we're thinking here is that, that, that businesses will ultimately grow their profits over time. Um, and also implicit is our, our understanding that we just don't know what will happen over the next couple of years. Will this in five or ten years' time, will we look back and say this was actually good for the UK economy? We don't know. It could be, it could be bad. It could be good. So, so we're not saying that, um, that we're predicting that everything's going to stay the same. I guess we're predicting that we don't know what the outcome will be, but fundamentally um, capitalism will, will carry on. Um, but I think that, that I sort of gave you our, our knee-jerk reaction, um, which was when we saw that massive differential. Um, we... That, that our, our first inclination is always to sort of build back towards our, our core positions. Um, this has been, I think, in my career, which is around about 20 years long, has been the best example of why you have a diversified portfolio. Mm-hmm. So your UK equities have fallen, your UK small and mid caps have fallen. But if you've got some overseas holdings, if you've got some bond holdings, um, they will have given you some protection. Actually, overall, um, a number of our funds are at all-time highs. So it's kind of it's interesting if you if you maintain some diversification um, in your portfolio um, at times like this, it suddenly becomes very very valuable. It didn't actually work quite so well in 2008. It was a slightly different uh, slightly different world. But the movement in the currency has led to a diversified portfolio doing very well. So. So I think it's been partly to look at that and sort of think, okay, well, let's not bet the ranch on one outcome or another um, in a post-Brexit world, so keep the portfolio diversified. Don't just rush into small caps because they've sold off or just buy, I don't know, um, a, stock, yeah, a stock of property funds because that's been the most painful area. That's betting on one outcome. Um, so I think it's about keeping your options open, um, not giving up perhaps on the likes of an Insel Train Global just because those stocks have had yet another great period of performance, but just maintaining balance across the portfolio. So the knee jerk was to, to, to move towards those really that were most immediately beaten up. Um, but I think our secondary thought is, is one of, of making sure we meant to balance. Um, and then more widely, I'll dig a few, not about individual funds, but what do we really think this means for investors? Um, and our view from that is actually we've come away much more positive. Um, we've had a big correction in the currency, which is good for, for UK equities. Um, but I think more fundamentally, the uncertainty leads to interest rates lower for longer, which Mark Damkin, my colleague, has been talking about for some time. But I think greater belief that that is the background we're probably going to be sat in. Um, cash returns, even worse, probably going forwards than they have been. They've been pretty poor anyway. Um, bond yields have gone lower, which means fine if you own some bonds, but you're not going to get much return from that. And I think all of this just pushes more towards people saving in a world of uncertainty um, and looking for us um, to, to equity income is probably a good solution in a world where you don't know what's going to come uh, we're thinking that, that that could well get pushed further as people just take the income and um, and then let the capital get on with itself for a period of time. So in other words, on, the, on that point at least, um, what we're talking about here is the one thing we think is, well, I would think is pretty clear isn't going to change is that uh, investors' uh, uh, appetite for risk is not going to increase um, as a result of this. Uh, and indeed, that is going to favour the kind of environment that you're talking about. Uh, though I guess the on the downside, you might would you share the view that we might see some uh, 
inflation coming through uh, as a result of the sterling depreciation? Um, I think that's an immediate impact, but I think um, that's obviously very specific to the UK. Um, the general or the wider picture, the wider economic picture globally isn't that great anyway, so that doesn't push towards inflation more broadly. Um, and actually, you've seen what yeah, the bond markets have, have already reacted. The bond markets are telling you that they don't think that there's going to be a prolonged inflation impact, um, certainly globally and, and also for the UK as a byproduct of, of a Brexit vote. I mean, it's easy, sat on our island, to think it's a, a bigger global impact bigger global impact than um, than the rest of the world might perceive, um, and I'm sure that is the case. Um, but um, yeah, possibly some short-term, short-term sort of year-on-year impacts on inflation, but does it fundamentally change the long-term story? I don't, I don't think so. You mentioned also in passing, you mentioned um, uh, property funds. Obviously, they've been in the news uh, a lot. You don't, I think, um, you don't have a property fund, uh, fund of funds for, I guess, for reasons I can guess at. But perhaps you could just comment on that and, and, and how you think investors should react to uh, to what's been happening uh, with the gating of uh, a number of uh, property funds. Okay, um, so we don't hold any property funds within our fund of funds, let alone have a property fund of funds. Um, and the reason we don't is, I mean, I'm sure you've heard all the stories before, but um, our main concern, when we buy, buy a fund, really, we're investing in the quality of the fund management team. Um, and I've had a lot of conversations with property managers over property fund managers over the years um, along the lines of we're getting in loads of money, we can't spend it quick enough, um, therefore the returns are quite poor because we've got too much in cash and we're not able to get um, our, our money invested so you're not going to capture the market return. On the other side, um, even within the same company, um, other funds where money is coming out for whatever reason um, and the manager is telling you, I'm having to sell all my best property because I've got to cover these redemptions. The overall quality of the portfolio is getting a bit worse. And so all that really tells me is that the managers themselves are out of control with um, with managing the money. So taking that illiquid asset and putting it into um, a liquid wrapper just doesn't, it just doesn't fundamentally work for us, which is, that's why we're not there. It's not because we don't necessarily believe in property. There are various other reasons why I'm not crazy about property funds, but that, that, that's the main one. Um, I don't know what advice to give anyone that's got them just at the moment. I'd probably say if you're in it for the longer term, then don't get shaken in the short term because of this kind of um, this reaction and significant setback in the um, in the NAV well, you're going to get if you were trying to exit. Uh, I mean, you've got up to 15% fair market adjustments, which seems pretty crazy to me, particularly as most of these things have got the better part of 20% cash and... Um, and, and equity shares anyway. Um, so if you believe in the long-term prospects of property, I would have thought this is probably a better time to be buying than selling, but um, it may well be the death knell of these things. Um, and having seen it in 2008, 2009, again in 2016, will people sort of come back to the, you know, will they be tempted back to the flame again um, in a year or two time? I presume they probably will, but it, it's not great for, uh, for particularly retail investors who, who sort of do crave that liquidity. It's the old saying, isn't it, if you... Um... If you can't uh, learn from the past, you're sort of doomed to repeat it, really, which is, uh, I think, what's happened. And uh, uh, obviously, most, uh, I think, most um, sensible investors I know, uh, they steer clear of uh, open-ended property funds for that very reason, as we've seen in the past. Well, Lee, that's very good. Thank you very much for your time and your help on this matter. Um, can you? Uh, so, if I can sort of ask you to just sum up at the last uh, question, if you like. Are you fundamentally optimistic or pessimistic? I, I guess I'm putting you somewhat on balance in the in the former camp. Um, so, yeah, 
Personally, as an investor, I've still got another 30, 40, 50 years of investing, so I view um, I view the current situation as being absolutely no reason to change my long-term view that you want to be in equities relative to bonds, given the yield differential. Um, I think, and, and companies will go on and, and grow their profits over time. So you start with a very attractive yield relative from equities, and if you can put up with the with the short-term volatility, I think that is the most exciting part of the investment market. Very good. Thank you very much, uh, Lee.